Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Dr. Howard Eisenberg will join us to discuss Dream It to Do It. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show. Well, what is the nature of reality, and how can we explore the various realms of consciousness? Joining us today to discuss this issue is Dr. Howard Eisenberg. Dr. Eisenberg has penned the new book, Dream It to Do It, The Science and the Magic. Dr. Eisenberg, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you, Charles. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, it is a very interesting book you've put together here, Dream It to Do It, The Science and the Magic. Curious why you decided to put the book together. In so many ways, we have these so-called existential threats, and they're real and they're multidimensional, and their existential meaning as in humankind may not exist much longer. And if it does, not with a, what we would call a reasonable quality of life. We have a dearth of leadership. We have a, a fractioning of people. We're almost going like backwards in terms of our civilization, our culture. There are so many things that are not going well, and it's all based on the belief that the outside world, the material world, is, is real, is objective, a bit of a challenge at times, but it's also an opportunity to exploit and get various things out of it that enrich people. And it feeds also our, our competitive sense of getting possessions and acquisitions and comparing ourselves to others and wanting more, feeding the, the ego, and taking us completely away from the inner life. And we have had thousands of years of recorded history of humanity in many parts of the globe where they had a very different belief system. They did not believe that the outside material world was the world. They did not believe that the way to advance oneself in one's life was to have more material possessions. Quite the opposite. And I think, as I see again, this collapsing, we sometimes call this the materialistic reductionist paradigm of reality, the belief that fundamentally what's out there is objective, is fixed. And we just have to deal with it and we're constricted by it as well. Related to that as well is the belief in the populace generally and broadly in the scientific community that the brain we have in our heads gives us our sense of consciousness, our sense of self. And Charles, I know this sounds wild, but you read the book. There's a lot in that book. There's no evidence whatsoever that the brain produces consciousness. We don't even have a theory, a hypothesis that explain how a material brain can give rise to immaterial subjective consciousness. On the other hand, we have the wealth of our own experience, individually and collectively, historically, from humanity, about the inner world. You know, as you may recall, chapter two of my book is entitled, The Only Thing You Can Absolutely Know. And the only thing you can absolutely know, you know, whether you're dreaming or not, but the only thing you can absolutely know is that you're aware of being aware. Everything else, you can't be sure about. For example, we sometimes do have realistic dreams, and it's not always possible to know in the middle of those dreams that it's just a dream. And plus, sometimes we take perhaps chemicals, uh, 
purposely, recreationally, or accidentally that affect, again, our, our brain functioning. We have a change of our consciousness and a whole different experience. What I found as I went deeper into the research scientifically is that there's a lot of evidence to explain, RP, why things are not working out well at all in the world by almost any measure of things, if you really look at it objectively, comprehensively. And how we've lost, again, an old wisdom sometimes people talk about as being partly an indigenous wisdom, because it does go back a very long time. Interesting enough, we find it again in many different cultures throughout the world. And so when I went back and looked at the science of what we understand about reality, the historical teachings of what people conceptualized and believed in reality, I found a very different sense of reality. There's been a lot of controversy and conflict over the last century or so between science and religion, almost a competition in terms of are religious correct and God is the creator, or are the scientific materialists correct and it's just a, a random universe that just changes or evolves over time. I came to the realization that since the only thing we can really know is that we're aware of being aware, since also everything we have developed scientifically, technologically, or just produced in a material way, all of that first came from our imagination. And as you may know, I document extensively in my book how all the major scientific discoveries came from people's imagination first and intuition. That's the source. So I teach people in my book how to work experientially with it. In other words, not just to be convinced by the evidence. You know, here are the exercises, as, as you may have experienced, to actually sample some of this. And I wrote this book as a wake-up call for the world because of what I know, both as I said initially, so many things not working well at all in our lives, so hard to look forward to a better future, let alone a reasonably good or sustainable future. And again, and the, the information which we were forgetting or ignoring about the inner world that's accessible to all of us, the inner resources we have, of how we could relate with each other so differently, more with a sense of connection as opposed to competition, or even worse, making them our enemies, to collaborate, to be at peace with the ecosphere, the earth we live in. I liked Buckminster Fuller's uh, metaphor he used many years ago, the famous architect philosopher, that we should consider we're on spaceship Earth. It's a closed system, so to speak. Uh, we only have so many resources, and you can only dispose of, of so much garbage and toxic material before you're polluting somebody else's need, you know, for potential clean resources. So I think if we look at a different model and realize fundamentally at a deeper level, the material world is an illusion. It's not the reality. It's part of it. We experience it, obviously, but it's not as we think it is. For example, if you take something like a so-called solid object, let's say um, a desk, and it's solid, it supports things. You can bang on it if you want to, or knock it, or a chair. But the reality is, although you consider that a solid object, from a point of view of research in the most developed area of science physics and particularly quantum mechanics, the most advanced area of physics, most of that solidity is actually empty space. More than 99.9999%, no joke, is pure empty space. And yet we perceive it as solid. So a lot of what we experience we think is real, but is illusion. I'm going further with the evidence I share in this book and say it's all illusion and help people wake up to realize what is real, what is important, what will save us, what will get us through this. 
it's quite a deep answer. I hope it makes sense to you. <laughs> Boils down to fundamental questions that continue to be asked, really. What is the nature of reality? What's the nature of perception of it? What's the nature of mind? Whether or not there's something fundamental about the universe that consciousness resides in that's outside of the material world, and would consciousness is some kind of fundamental aspect of the universe and that everything arises from it or is built from it or interacts with it, Yes, the, the, the term we use in a more professional way in this whole area, let's say parapsychology, for example, we call it the primacy of consciousness. The consciousness is primary. What we consider the, the material world or our experience in the material world is secondary. Even our notion, again, of reality. The best example I could give is when you have a dream. And in a dream, sometimes they seem realistic. You feel you and experience yourself interacting with other people perhaps being in different areas of the world physically, doing different things physically, and yet it's all in your imagination. And what we believe is at a much deeper level, there's sort of a, a connecting universal mind, part of what some people consider, if you like, God consciousness. And we come out of that like a great dream. And we're all co-participants in that dream. And there's sort of no me without we. We're relational beings. And we enrich consciousness by our experience in the world. So I think that's the model that, that really, you know, in a simple way best explains this, that we are having experiences, obviously, but again, things are not as they seem, which is the title of my chapter one, even as I mentioned about solidity. But more than that, when we think we're awake, we're not necessarily awake. Uh, or harkens to the idea of the consciousness that we're experiencing as humans laid on top of an underlying primary consciousness, if you will. The things that we're experiencing are a subset of that greater consciousness in a way. Exactly. Like the model, I, I try to use symbolically because it's hard to understand these things. They often say that mystical experiences are, for example, ineffable, but you can't even put them in words. So it's a bit of a challenge. So the model I use is to consider consciousness, the universal mind, God consciousness, symbolically, like a great ocean. And every once in a while, the ocean generates different waves and some waves recede. So the waves are temporary. But if you took a fixed picture of the surface of an ocean, you could actually point to what seem to be separate waves in terms of you know the tips of them. Some are larger, some are smaller. But they're all, if you go back to not a still photograph, it was a uh, real time or a video, and you're watching it coming and going, lifting up and going down into the body of the ocean, you realize they're all temporary, but my point is even when they seem like individual waveforms, they're still united in their base with the underlying ocean, the underlying sea. So yes, we experience ourselves partly as individuals, but potentially, as I say, when we learn to access this deeper level, you realize you're also connected to everyone else and everything else. You devote a chapter on current neuroscience, brain science. Explain how the biological basis of, or what the brain is able to instantiate in terms of our consciousness, but that that might then be derived from some underlying primary consciousness that has created this structure that allows human consciousness perhaps to emerge. Right. Right. To use, for example, a model like this, uh, a radio station sends out a signal which can be received by people who have radio receivers. If somebody has a radio receiver, and for some reason, it goes on the, the blink, uh, the battery runs out, uh, somebody pours fluid on it, whatever may happen. If the signal is still there, if somebody turns on the radio, they'll hear the same signal, the same station, the same broadcast. We think that the brain physically does have a connection to consciousness, not denying that, but it's what we call correlation, it's an association, it's not causation. And we think that the brain functions as a tunable filter. So in our, it filters in some of the information but not 
everything going through it. When we alter the filtering with, for example, psychedelic, psychedelic chemicals, or when people do things like meditation, it's changing the filtering. They have a different experience of consciousness. They have access to other knowledge and other abilities when they remove those filtering functions of the brain. We also though know that coming back to that chapter you mentioned about the brain, I also pointed out that even a more simple level of being so provocative, that the notion that the brain produces consciousness in our head, even that just on that level in conventional medical knowledge is wrong because we now know we have at least two other physical brains in humans. One is the heart brain and one is the so-called gut brain or microbiome. The heart, unknown to many people, but true scientifically, has its own nervous system. The heart has its own memory system. The heart has more nerves going up to the brain to control brain function, and the brain has nerves going to the heart to control the heart. The heart can also secrete hormones like oxytocin, so-called love hormone, the bonding hormone. The heart generates its own electromagnetic field, which is 60 times greater than that of the head brain. So arguably, at the major source, again, of our identity and wisdom, they've even found in heart transplant patients sometimes that the recipient receives not just the physical heart, but some of the personality characteristics of the donor who they never knew. And there's been many reports of this in the medical literature. And then there's the gut brain, the microbiome, the bacteria in our large colon, large bowel. There's more DNA collectively in the bacteria in our gut, in our bowel, than in our own human body. Those bacteria secrete hormones that affect the brain directly. For example, the whole antidepressant industry in many ways of the country is built on altering serotonin levels in the brain. And yet 90% of the body's serotonin is produced by the microbiome bacteria, not by the brain. And I could go on and on, but there's just so many things you've been led to believe that are wrong. And I don't ask anyone to believe it on faith. I show them the science and logical connection. Continues a line of research in neurology, neuroscience of the separability of different type of consciousnesses, things like split brain patients and deficits in various parts of the visual system that different types of visual consciousness. All these give rise to what we think of as sort of gestalt consciousness, but that's still more of an illusion that are all this riding on. Right. I, you know, and we can also artificially do things like hypnosis, you know, with a, with a normal person who's educated, who, who, who's bright, otherwise alert. And we can have them either see things that are not there, which called positive hallucinations. We can do the opposite. We can create negative hallucinations. So they literally will not see what they would have seen before when they weren't in hypnosis and everybody else sees. Again, we like to think our minds aren't that unreliable, but that's, you know, the reality is our P. But just because we experience something doesn't mean our interpretation of it is at all correct, whether individually or collectively. Given this sort of paradigm, how then do people use that knowledge to alter their perception of reality or their actual reality? Well, you know, I, I actually tried to design the book, Charles, which you may have seen in print form, but it's now also out as an audio book, uh, to actually lead, almost take people by the hand as they were my students back, you know, in university or my patients uh, when I would do psychotherapy in my office, almost taking them by the hand to guide them. So the, the sequence of the chapters, uh, even the, the numbering you may have noticed is unusual. It's like zero one, zero two, zero three, you know, all the way to ten. Uh, it's it's to help them realize for themselves through their own realization, their own awareness, their own increasing awareness as they go through the book of the true reality. It's not about whether uh, impressive intellectual argument. 
or if it just uh, feels more comfortable. It really opens up. If, if they read it with an open mind and they give it attention, they will have that experience. The audiobook, I think, is somewhat even more experiential than the printed book. And I think actually the ideal is a combination of both. One is a little more intellectual, the book itself, and the, the audio book is more of an experiential experience. But I think, again, they're, they're complementary to each other for the ideal. If someone really wants to get that, and they are key, as you know, there are some exercises in the book to give people some immediate exercises to experience these alterations of consciousness without any types of chemicals or apparatus at all. I also give fairly, I think, detailed and user-friendly, by that I mean practical and comfortable recommendations and specific instructions for various types of meditation activities people can do. I also give instructions for how people can work with their dreams, not interpretation of dreams, but to literally use their dreams to change their experience of their awareness uh, and their circumstances in life. We are running slightly out of time. What would you really like them to take home regarding the book? What would you hope able to achieve after reading the book? Well, this is my intention as a wake-up call, and my hope is we'll open their minds, open their hearts to the realization that if we change the way we view reality, if we change the way we relate to other people, we can turn things around. There, there's a narrow window of opportunity to avoid. There are so many indicators, I said, and I don't want to go dark, of things not going well with a trajectory of, in all probability of getting much worse and quickly. But this gives people real hope based on science, not just on faith. And it gives them the techniques to start working and bringing it more into the common reality. So that is my hope, that it'll be a wake-up call, that it will inspire them to relate very differently to others and our world around us. We were just talking with Dr. Howard Eisenberg, his new book, Dream It to Do It, The Science and the Magic. Dr. Eisenberg, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you again, Charles, for the opportunity and for your listeners. Thank you. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.